Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, the podcast where I speak to people about the jobs they did, basically what they got up to before and during becoming a full-time musician, comedian or artist. 
This week we've got Tom May for the Menzingers. Uh, the Menzingers are probably one of the most prolific and lyrically charged punk rock bands today. They've recorded five albums. They consistently tour and release brilliant songs and keep pushing forward. I've known them for a few years and sort of known that Tom's had a had a bunch of jobs basically, um, starting off as a as a Domino's delivery driver, um, as a lot of people do. Um, so he walks us through his story from that to becoming a full-time musician. Enjoy and rate and subscribe and thanks again for listening. Cheers. Signature Brew is the official beer of 101 part-time jobs. I mean, you know the, the concept of it. Basically, I, I speak to people who are, who are doing art full-time. Obviously, to do that, you have to do a bunch of stuff that you don't want to do in between. Um, yeah. I mean, so Menzing is obviously, I know you started when you, when you were real young. Yeah, yeah, we started uh, in high school bands, and then as soon as we graduated high school, when we were probably, I guess I was like, you know, 18, 19, we formed, and then we've been going full-time, not having to have, we moved together down to Philadelphia about 10 years, about 10 or 11 years ago, and then we've been doing it full-time without having to work other jobs since about 2013. Okay, cool. So, in 2012, so a good five or six years have not had uh, another job. Do you remember what you were doing when you started the band? Oh, yeah, I was working uh, for Domino's, which is, you know, you got Domino's. I was delivering pizzas at uh, the Bull's Head Domino's in North Scranton. And did you have a job before, I mean, was that your first job as a teenager? No, I, my first job as a teenager, I was 14 years old. I rode rollerblades into a, a catering company, and I said, hey, uh, you have to be 14 to work in Pennsylvania. Um, can you hire me? I think you know my dad. And they said, uh, yeah, you can, you can wash dishes. So I got a job washing dishes when I was 14. Brilliant. Uh, for $6 an hour under the table, which was quite a lot of money back then, especially for a 14-year-old. So it was, it was, yeah. uh, the minimum wage was like probably 650 around there, a little bit less, and that was, you know, before taxes, so I was doing was doing pretty damn good for for a young kid. I, I go back to the to the roller skating bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I did kind of just glaze over that. We were <laughs> we used to ride rollerblades and stuff at these like flood projects that were underneath the bridge uh, over in West Scranton, and that catering place was right there next to a convenience store that we would go in and get you know Mountain Dew or whatever whatever from. And I just rolled. Yeah. Uh, I remember rolling into the catering place um, and just kind of you know rollerblading around by the bar while the owners were there working on stuff yeah <laughs> give me a job that is absolutely fan- fantastic how long do you remember how long you kept that for oh man yeah i worked at that place on and off so i, did, I washed dishes for a couple of years and then uh later in high school i moved on to um being a server helping out in the kitchen and uh attending bar a little bit um which is funny actually now that we mentioned it when I was working uh, as a dishwasher there, it was the first time I ever smoked weed, the uh, first access I had to regular alcohol. One of the older owners, uh, not one of the older owners, sorry, one of the older servers, who was probably just like 19 at the time, but I thought was, you know, an ancient human being, gave me a Dead Kennedys tape and a Public Image imitated tape, and that was like kind of the first introductions I had to punk rock outside of uh, Green Day on the radio. That's awesome. What was it? Was it kind of like a, um, a punk rock kind of bar? No, it was like a it was like a catering event space. So we did lots of uh, offsite um, sending food places, but it was a, a bit of like a ballroom. So people would come in and have uh, a wedding reception or their wedding shower, you know, confirmation party, uh, different work parties and shit like that uh, in the ballroom. We just cook in there and it would be for an event. Mostly weekends or weekdays as well. 
mostly weekends. So I think legally I was able to work. You can only work till 10 or something on the weekdays, and you can work till midnight on the weekends. I forget exactly what it was back then, but yeah. it was mostly just the weekends. I'd pick up a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday morning shift. and nice. uh, Yeah, it's great. I suppose that lends itself to working in a pub when you when you can become of age. Uh, yeah, I would say so. You get kind of like the same vibe and same work ethic. It's not, uh, yeah, working in a bar here is a lot different because you got to be 21 to uh, drink. Oh, right. So it's kind of like oh, yeah. even that much further separated. Like it doesn't seem like it, that couple of years would be a big deal, but I think those are really developmental years. You kind of just, the whole idea of working in a bar was so far removed from working in a restaurant at that time. So yeah. Like, How old were you when you moved to Philly as a band? Uh, 21. Okay. So that time, that was quite timely. Yeah, oh yeah, Greg was not 21 yet, so he couldn't drink. Uh, there were a couple bars that we can get into when we were underage, but um, yeah, when we first moved there, it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was right around that time. One of the first jobs that I got was, uh, actually, a couple years into it, one of the, my, my favorite job that I've ever had, I think, was when I worked at a bar in West Philly called the Blarney Stone. It was at 39th and Sansom, and it was nestled directly in between Drexel and University of Pennsylvania's campuses. So Drexel is a nice, you know, a, a more expensive private school out here and uh university of pennsylvania is an ivy league school uh in west philadelphia and they kind of you know it's a different clientele than we're used to but we were basically the dive bar of those two places so the kids would come there and kind of it was like a big party spot but it was also a um restaurant that sold like delivery trash college food so i started out there as a bicycle delivery guy so i'd ride uh, bicycle um you know all day and with the other guys that worked there and it was just so much fun to be able to be that active and kind of just hang out. And the owners were, were incredible. They would give us a shift. You know, a lot of places you get a shift beer. Yeah. Um, you'd get a shift pitcher. So at the end of the yeah. shift, they would give you a pitcher of lager or whatever. And just, that was that was it. And we would get, yeah. uh, at nighttime, if it was a Friday or Thursday, Friday or Saturday, they would need a bunch of the staff to stay on to watch the different doors, be barbacks and stuff like that. So it wasn't long until I had worked every single job that they had at the place. So you kind of got like a really good overview of how the entire thing went down. One thing that always really strikes me when I, when I speak to friends about working in a bar in America is that, I mean, so many of them, I mean, working in a pub here in England, you get a minimum wage and no one tips here. And working at a bar in America, it feels like, you know, you're, you're making a lot more money working in bars than, than someone from, from England would think. Oh, yeah, dog, you make, that's why it's stigmatized, like, uh, in, in the way it is, you call some people who, you know, not to, I'm definitely not trying to disparage uh, any of my friends who work as bartenders, um, but oftentimes there's, there's like a culture of what I call bar stars, it's like people who are bartenders that have kind of like a social, I don't know, like an, uh, a sense of entitlement or thing, because it, you realize that like, I mean, you know, the work is very hard, but people make like so much money you can make uh, at that Barney Stone job you know eight years ago uh, I would make $50 an hour under the table on a Friday night if I was uh, uh, doing a bartending shift like, wow so much fucking money yeah uh, and then yeah, you and then you could leave you could leave you could, you could then leave the tour and then have a job when you come back and then you, you know you're not you're not out of pocket on the tour personally yeah totally that's uh that's it was a huge part of that and especially that job because um Everybody who worked there, the first person who worked there, I think one of them, my friend DJ Getz, uh, who's now a chef at a, 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 a dim sum restaurant. Um, he's you know, a great dude from Scranton, but he got a job there, and then immediately all of the other musicians and friends from Scranton started to pile in. Like Matt from Three Man Cannon also works at, mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, Minor Street and has uh, his own uh, recording project. He worked there with me. Cool. Um, some of the other guys from Three Man Cannon worked there. It was a yeah, it was like a definitely a hub of all right. We're going on tour. I can cover all your ships until you get back. So yeah, really a great culture for that. How how often were Menzingers touring when you when you all moved to Philly at twenty one? How, how how many months out of the year do you think you were away? Uh, you know, we didn't. We, we probably were. We were well, at first. We only went away during breaks and during the summer because. Uh, uh, we were still in school. Like uh, I was still going yeah. to a community college in Philadelphia, and Greg was still going to Temple. Uh, and then I dropped out, and Greg continued to go. But he took a couple semesters off here and there. So we, we probably were touring. It was as soon as he graduated is when we started to really hit it hard. But before that, we were probably touring maybe I don't know a, a fifth of the year, a quarter of the year, maybe. Is that around the time of Chamberlain Waits? Yes, that was right around that time. So when yeah. that came out, that was right when we first started. That was uh, the tour that we did right before that came out was the first one that we ever made it to the West Coast on um, in 2010. So yeah, yeah, great. And you kept on working at bars all throughout throughout that time. Until well, you yeah, working at bars, but working at uh, kind of just that was where I worked. Uh, that one bar. I also had a job doing bicycle delivery for DPDO, which was like a third shift job. I'd work till five, four or five in the morning. Wow. And again, it was also uh, run by a dude who was real involved in the Jersey punk scene back in the day, and it was really cool because mm-hmm. it was. Uh, he had a couple musicians and, and people from um, that lived out in West Philly, and also he was really into hiring guys that were recently um, released from prison. So it was like mm-hmm. a, a learning experience with those guys for sure. But. Um, yeah. It was really funny, the, the, the cultural differences that we had and the way that we'd come together at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning having a couple beers after the set, or, sorry, after the shift. But, um, yeah, I worked that job. I worked at uh, Washing Dishes when I first got back here at the Warsaw Cafe, which is a um, Polish restaurant run by a woman who was a victim of um, Nazi Germany. She was a young Pole who was taken from her family and forced to be a cook for a German officer. Uh, and then immediately after that, she had to deal with communism uh, in Poland and the suppression by the uh, Soviets. And then came over here and started a, a small little Polish restaurant that had the best uh, pierogies that I've ever had in my entire life, probably ever will have. But that was an right. interesting job because it was a really tiny kitchen that only a couple of us worked at. And it was a really like, um, you know, a tight space. And that was a job that I had had as soon as I moved to Philadelphia. Actually, the day that I moved to Philadelphia, I started the shift. On uh, 16th Street, down 16th and Spruce, and that was also a job that was held previously by me by other artists from Scranton. So it was kind of nice. like a, a line. Uh, There's like a, a lineage of the dishwashers that you could trace back, you know, five or six years. It was pretty funny. One time, one thing I always think when you meet so many different people from different backgrounds of all ages is it, it kind of makes you question yourself and make you think about you know what you're going to do in the future. I mean, other than being in a band, obviously, what did you have any ideas at the time? of what you might be doing or what you know something you could put all your focus into doing not really because the entire time i was focused uh, and we were focused together that we were going to be musicians and that was what we what we needed to do for a living so we yeah. kind of just stuck on that goal and didn't really deviate much from it i had like all kinds of fantastical ideas and notions of being like i don't know i wanted to do like uh, i always wanted to be a journalist back in the day hmm. um and then yeah so i kind of just you know, there was the idea of maybe owning a bar or a record label. Yeah. Um, it's kind of just all the same things that you would normally associate with people that <laughs> wanted to be musicians. Yeah. We kind of uh, uh, really, it sounds, it might sound a little bit outrageous, but we really just did not anticipate doing anything else at all. Like, that was the, um, you know, the, the one driving thing that we, we kind of uh, came together on. Absolutely. And did you have many friends in, in other bands who were doing the same thing? 
Yeah, the, everything. The scene at that time. So at first we wanted to move to New York, uh, but it was so expensive. And when we moved to Philadelphia in 2008, that was right. We moved in July. So many other dudes came down in the fall. Uh, that was when the Great Recession started. That was when the housing crisis happened, was that uh, September, October. So it kind of became difficult to tour. It was more difficult to, we couldn't live in New York. It was just way too, way too expensive. Uh, but in Philadelphia, you had just tons of these houses that were full of five or six people that wanted to play in bands. And that was just like what they did. So we would just play house shows you know, once a week uh, in the city somewhere. That's uh, kind of a, a lot of the bands grew out of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like people, you know, you, you read all these blogs about how this, uh, how these this basement scene is amazing. And I'm not saying it's not amazing. It is amazing. But it's great that Philly is just one of those towns that almost every every sort of domestic house I've been to has quite a big basement. So it's, it's a real straightforward thing. Yeah, totally. When it was uh, really, really uh, involved and, and, and frequent back then, I think now it's kind of, uh, you know, as any older jaded person would say, it's become a bit romanticized and it's kind of like scaled back a little bit. And, and for a good reason, too. I mean, like there are parts of uh, the whole uh, Philly house show basement scene that kind of got glossed over a little bit That it, with the age of wisdom that I can kind of see it. Uh, we were going to poor neighborhoods, you know, they're predominantly black, some of them, some of them are like, you know, second, third generation Irish and Italian, and just like these people lived in neighborhoods, and because it was the affordable place to live, you'd get five or six people slamming in a house that didn't mind living in a, a violent, um, you know, poor neighborhood, and then you just take advantage of the fact that you could be really loud all the time, <laughs> Yeah, and play some shows until, you know, 11 o'clock midnight on a weeknight, and to the dismay of all of the neighbors and family that are around it. So you kind of start to realize that your role was, it's a romantic, sure, but it's also like, wow, I wonder what, you know, what, what was I doing exactly? And it's funny to see it manifest itself now in the um, spike in developed housing and uh, the housing crisis themselves as uh, even people like us who spearheaded the, 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 like, you know, gentrifying move to the neighborhood are getting priced out. So it's kind of like a, it's an interesting, you know, an interesting uh, uh, little lesson. Yeah, absolutely. It puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Sure. I, I often think as well, when, when things like that are happening, you know, when you book a bunch of your friends' bands to play your basement, you know, and, and they're called, you know, Dead to Me, Menzingers, and, or, you know, whoever it wanted, wanted to be at the, that first, you know, before the first records are released, it, it's one of those things that becomes special afterwards. Yeah, the stories that I remember are just, like, you know, hilarious. There's a time where Titan House was right around the corner from us, and that's where a lot of our friends uh, had first started having shows, and that was where we were kind of, like, one of the house bands that played there. We played there. Frank Turner came and played with us in the living room there. Um, but so any band that's ever played the fest has played there. You know, I kind of can, can trace it all back, and there's just so many hilarious uh, things that have happened there. Uh, yeah. From the time that all the light bulbs in the basement got smashed, and all they had left was a... Uh, like a heat lamp that you'd put in like a lizard's cage, you know, like warm up a reptile. Yeah. And then put that in. And I remember the drummer of that, that band just like vomiting profusely from, you know, borderline heat stroke or whatever. And all the yeah. times the cops came, just kind of like made fun of us and then left. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. So many of those great times that we had, we had done that. Basically, we were just having kind of college kid style house parties with bands yeah. playing. You know, everybody would stay on the second floor until their friend's band played anyway because it was too hot and fucked up in the basement anyway. So I guess when you quit your jobs, how far in advance and how did it feel knowing that you'd be able to soon not work and just do the band full time? You know, I kind of, 
I don't really remember because we would still pick up kind of like side hustles here and there. I remember I was like selling weed for a little bit. We would like, you'd get a friend to cover somebody's shift, that kind of stuff. So I think the, the, the transition into the full-time band was a little bit more um, graceful than just like, a, oh shit, we got paid for this tour. Never going back to work. I'm going to call my boss back. Fuck you. Um, it didn't necessarily happen that way. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's more of a, like, a nuanced transition, I guess. What did it, what did that feel like being able to obviously life goes on and nothing stays the same forever? But how did it feel like you know just in that golden moment? Oh, it was great. Felt incredible, and, and it also was more of like uh, didn't we didn't work out of the necessity of having to tour less than having enough money to be able to sustain or live uh, comfortably while not having a job. So it was kind of like, well, I can't get this job because you know I have to go on tour again in a month on that tour, and it's like they're not you know they're not gonna hire me. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we were really good at pooling our resources, and uh, we all lived in the same house together, so it was kind of like, uh, you know, it, it worked out really well for, for us, because we were all on the same page. I think oftentimes, in bands, especially at that point in their career, when they have an album out, maybe, or two albums out, and you kind of have to sacrifice a lot uh, to be able to keep it going, we were fortunate enough in that we were all on the same page, and a lot of times I think I've seen bands where it's kind of people are interested in other things or they're not at a point in their life where they're able to just kind of give up everything we yeah we made that works but yeah when we got to the point where we didn't have to go to work man we were just doing the band thing it was yeah it's incredible fuck yeah awesome tom thank you so much hell yeah man thanks for having me Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.